0: Westport Art Fair was here in Kansas City this weekend, and I spent a good amount of time talking to artists that were there. The show is very different from the kind of shows that I normally do, like Con or In the Past Planet, shows like that. For those of you that don't know what that's like, whenever I've done those shows, they're all normally held inside. It's a table that you get or maybe a small booth area and when you do those shows you know there's a certain controlled element in there that i enjoy i don't necessarily have to deal with the weather it's usually most likely air conditioned well lit i don't have to worry about getting sunburn or you know excess uv on any of my artwork any of that sort of thing there's a lot of reasons why i don't do art outdoor art fairs I'm just not a big fan of them right so one of the things that is a bridge across the factor of Doing an outdoor art show and an indoor art show has very little to do with the shows itself, except for one factor that immediately came to a head for me. You see, anytime I get ready for shows, there's something that always pops up in my head. And I could normally say that it'd be, you know, maybe insecurity or anxiety or something like that. And those would be true things and certainly things I plan on covering down the road. But something that is innocuous and just hides right below the, s- the surface is pressure. Hi, I'm Mario, the artist and rogue, and this is Radio 74. This is a show, for those of you that are just joining me for the very first time, that covers my own experiences as an artist, things I've gone through, things I experience in general, just a, my- a myriad number of topics that I try to cover on here to... Maybe try and bridge the gap for people that don't understand what it's like to be an artist. I've been a working artist for well over two decades. I really enjoy the stuff I do. And for the first time in my life for these last couple of years, I've been a almost full-time and now officially full-time freelancer with clients and good opportunities that I worked really hard for. I always thought in my own head that that would be something that was kind of the norm, but it turns out it's a pretty rarefied circumstance for a lot of people to be able to get into and maintain. And I'm hoping to be one of those people in the long run. And one of the things I do is this show. So, pressure. Okay, so first of all, the biggest thing that can normally happen that I've seen... I'm going to go down this list first that talks about... Things that people will often encounter, right? So the first one is pressure from the public. Okay. So there's expectations. There's, you know, you get the unwanted feedback and, and really crappy comments that are maybe mentioned under their breath or something, or you hear somebody say, Oh, God, that's really expensive. I could do that. Or you'll get the weird, the weird comments like, Oh, well, my, my daughter or my son or my uncle or my grandfather is an amazing artist. Great. Okay but there's also this other double-edged aspect of it where I don't know how you guys are about this. I don't, I don't know because sometimes you can get a compliment and I've learned over the years to accept a compliment and just kind of go with it. Like, Oh, well, cool. Thank you. I, I appreciate that, you know, and I don't mean it disingenuously. It's just, whenever I first started out, I really liked the compliments because I didn't, I wasn't really used to that. Right. You know, the very first time I started doing shows, it was just nice to get feedback like that and go, Oh, wow, that's really cool. But sometimes the compliments are accompanied with no purchase or no intent to buy. And they're still nice to hear. But after a while, if you hear enough of those things and you're still not selling work, you're really wondering if they're not just sort of patronizing you to a certain degree. Another aspect of it is pressure from the public persona that you put out there. Now, a lot of artists, when they start out, they either want there's I've seen it go both ways. okay, and I've never done the first, which is almost putting a caricature of yourself out there. Right. So it's almost the whole fake it till you make it sort of thing. And then the other aspect of it is being as honest and real and raw as you possibly can, which is not comfortable for a lot of people. Over the years, I've managed to keep a pretty nimble balance between the two. I don't talk about a lot of my personal information. I never really have. Even as much stuff as I share online, it's a very narrow point of view about who I am. And there's a reason for that. I know that a lot of times there's a facility that happens with people. And I know this because I I tend to forget myself. A lot of times when I'm interacting with people on any social media and then I meet them in real life or just in general, even if it just stays on social media... They'll share aspects of their life, and you begin to think, "Well, I actually know this person, right?" And you don't. you, you just don't. This is, I've seen this mainly manifest with people that finally meet movie stars or you know anybody who's more than a little bit you know well-known, and you feel like you just know that person, you know because you see him in hilarious roles, like, "I don't know Ryan Reynolds, I wish I did, but I don't know him. I actually don't know what I'm going to do. If I ever end up running across Paul Rudd, I love his acting. His roles are hilarious. He seems like a really funny and fun guy, but I imagine because he lives around this area from time to time here in Kansas city, if I ever did meet him and me being the huge Ant-Man fan that I also am, I would probably lose my mind and make it super awkward. And that is a pressure that he no doubt deals with. And for myself, I'm certainly no Paul Rudd, but I know that whenever I'm at a show, I've had to kind of train myself. I've had to really think about what I'm putting out there, but I want it to be honest, right? So there's this aspect where I'm like, well, I do like listening to people. I love telling stories, but I love hearing a good story as well, too. I want to know about brand new fandoms or maybe a book they're working on or show me your portfolio. That's all genuine. I really mean that. That's a thing that I really enjoy doing. You can't go to a show and not be interested in what other people are doing, or I mean, I guess you can, but that's not me. So then, moving on, there's pressure also in our own work or the creative aspirations that we have, and we end up living under our own weight of mental duress because of it. The thing is, is like, and I know this; I'm I'm actually going through this right now. There's a point where it's fat, you know, a lot of famine or feast. Okay, when you work in art, understand that art is a luxury. It really is. It manifests in a lot of things that people say, well, we don't really need the arts. We don't need the liberal arts. We don't need these things. But how many people enjoy Netflix and all the content on there? How many people enjoy playing Xbox, Nintendo, Sega, whatever? How many people love playing board games How many people do anything that involves media from video to voiceover, to animation, to special effects, to any of that stuff, right? And all of those are creative endeavors that manifest as products that are, you know, indulged upon. And that means to me that they're fairly necessary, that they are a thing that people crave. But because of that, There's a lot of times that people can also become critical of that, and it almost comes full circle back to the first ones, which is where you end up with public pressure, even who your persona is. I mean, there's the whole thing having to do with cancel culture and a lot of other things that I could go into, but this isn't the the area of discourse I wanted to go into. The fact is, is that as artists, as creatives, whether you're an actor, whether you're a special effects artist, it doesn't matter. You end up feeling a lot of that and you wonder how you ever weather that sort of thing. If you have a blockbuster movie and the performances were great and the art looked fantastic and nobody could tell something was CGI, then the movie is hailed and it's loved and it's just considered fantastic and a a tour de force or whatever. And it gets 98% rating on on Rotten Tomatoes. And then there's other movies that just don't fare that well, you know, um, Personally, there was a couple of the Star Wars movies that weren't so great for me. I didn't necessarily hate them. I took them for what they were, accepted it, and then just decided, well, I just won't watch them that often. But there's other people out there that would just just rail on the actors and the people that made the movies. And if you were even halfway associated, like, let's go back to, like, Star Wars Episode One, People were just so rude to the actor that portrayed Jar Jar Binks and the actor that did young Anakin Skywalker. And that sort of thing, I can't even imagine you put the best you can possibly in there as an actor, as, as somebody who's doing a, perfor- a bit of performance art, you do what you can, you know, and, and maybe, you know, to, to get into the details of it, and maybe they chose the wrong actors, maybe the direction was wrong, maybe the story wasn't as strong as it could have been, or development or directing or editing was off, who knows. The fact is, is that it all ends up becoming kind of a quagmire and a mess, and people tend to generalize it and just attack either the singular aspect of George Lucas about it, or they'll go after the direct um, actors like Jake Lloyd or Ahmed Best. And that's kind of, in my mind, crappy, because they did the best with what they had, and the intent was at least applicably good for what they were able to do at that point in time. You can take that same exact avenue on a much smaller level and apply it to anyone that works a show. If you're out there and you're putting your paintings, your drawings, your sculptures, your, your leather work, whatever it is, you're putting the best out there because you're hoping you're going to make a sale. You're hoping someone is going to come by, smile, really enjoy what you made and want to buy it. That you're going to be able to bag it up. You're going to be able to swipe their credit card or take some cash and then make that exchange. And they walk away and they're going to be happy. And that's a lot of pressure to be under. So then that leads me to the next aspect of it, which is pressure from financial strain. And a lot of times the need to succeed can get so bad that it it can even make us like, accept that we're less worth what we should be either charging or putting ourselves out there for, okay? There's a reason a lot of people don't like to talk about the amount of money they make at a show. And uh, I recently had posted, I got a lot of good feedback on this, and I actually got some artists and creators that were very honest with, with me back on what they went through. Now, I'm not going to say who they were or anything else like that, because some of this was in confidence, and I can appreciate that. But by the time I had finished this last show that I did, Naka Khan, with some commission work that still has to be paid for, I broke $1,000. I'm not going to lie. That was the very first time I ever did that at a show that had only 3,500 people or so there. And I didn't even interact with all 3,500 of the people. At any given point in time, I average, I think that maybe I, okay, total, I maybe interacted with a, I would say maybe 100, 200 people, honestly, that came by the booth. And liked my stuff enough to pick it up. I don't do very much, if any, fan art of anything. I had like a Samurai Jack piece, um, some of my Tank Girl pieces, and that was about it. Everything else was original stuff, is my own stuff. And that's a hard sell. When you're trying to create an IP, when you're trying to create a world or a story or anything, and you're saying, hey, I would like to show you something I've invented, something I've created, something I've written, something that's very personal to me. It's a hard sell because a lot of times it's easier to be able to sell things that already exist and kind of go with that and that sort of thing. And that's a whole other discussion, again, having to do with fan art or just working with other things as an homage or whatever you want to call it. It's just something I don't necessarily do that often. Um, and the few times that I have, I always feel like, okay, I, I don't want to really do this. Like my time could have been better spent trying to come up with something on my own because that's something that I want for my own thing. And it takes some of this pressure off of me. But there is something to be said about watching other people, and this has happened in other shows, where they're making fan art, or they're making stuff that people already know, and they're selling a lot more of it. It's no lie. Had I had a lot more stuff that had to do specifically with certain anime, you know, old or new, or certain science fiction things, or maybe some Mad Max stuff, yeah, I probably could have doubled, if not tripled, my amount of money. But I also have to question, do I want that sort of... Alternate pressure put on me where I'm like, why are you, why am I doing this when you have good ideas, when you have a story you're working on and a world you want to build and market and put out there, why would you do this extra work on this other stuff that doesn't even belong to you? And that's been a real thing for me. And I was very forward in, on my TikTok videos about how much I made each day and what was going on. Now, the table for me was $120, and the show was kind enough because of the reduced amount of people that came to the show. It was only one-third in attendance, because normally it's around eight to 9,000 people, I, I believe. Um, I got a $60 refund on my table. So I was when I walked in the door, I was only technically $60 in debt from a payment I made two years ago. And so then the next thing was that like I was able to kind of look at that and go, okay, well, you know, I've also got the investment on my materials and all this other stuff. So there was a myriad amount of pressure from that aspect, which probably, if I was being honest, was about, well, if I take into consideration some of the other things I had to do with some last-minute purchases for displays and stuff like that, I'd wager to say it was about $250 total worth of stuff that I went in, in the negative, and then I had to work up from there. So really, I only made about $750. Now, if you also take into consideration any travel to gas, which wasn't that far to get there or any of the stuff that, you know, I thought, okay, well, this is something that I have to repair or fix. Thankfully, there wasn't any of that. Of course, I had to buy food for myself to go to the show and eat and things like that. So those are business expenses. But, you know, I could resoundedly say, hey, I made about 700 bucks clear, right? But all those things are going to go back into resupplying myself with paper, with printer ink, which God knows is incredibly expensive. And all of these other things that have to go back into businesses. And any of you that run businesses know exactly what I'm talking about. You sell stuff, but you still got to go back and do other stuff with it. So there's an additional pressure in there to price my items at a decent price point that allows me to be able to manufacture and make everything that I do I basically make here in my studio there's very little few very few things I outsource and the few things that I do outsource I still have a lot of manual labor in I debuted quite successfully thankfully my Dungeons and Dragons inspired class buttons and they were the first ones were the Dungeon Master the fighter the cleric and there was one more I can't remember right now off the top of my head because I'm drawing a blank. But the whole point was those buttons. Uh, I went through a really wonderful company that I've worked with for years on other stuff. Um, they, I worked with them and then another sticker company and I got some little small poly bags and I had to handle hand assemble all of those things into a retail like package and the design time and all that other stuff that went into all of those elements and everything, of course, eats into my overall, you know, return. And there's a pressure there for that to succeed. Thankfully. I mean, the first day I think I sold one and then Saturday, I believe I sold 10. And then I forget how many I sold on Sunday because it was a $5 price point and it worked out. And I'm not a fan of low price point items. I'm not a fan of free items either. So it was a real challenge for me to be able to hold that together and say, well, you know, what will work for this? Well, I knew exactly how much I had been investing into it and you know, the price point and how it was going to work for this $5 item and it worked out and it helped round out the overall pressure that was being put upon me to try and succeed at this. And it was a good move. I had no guarantee it was going to work. I had no freaking idea. And I had people asking, "Oh, you don't have the bard or you don't have the rogue. I'm like, I do. And they exist on my Etsy store and other factions, you know, of, 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 uh, items, but I don't have them yet. And thankfully, most people were, you know, everything. Yeah, everybody was very understandable. And, you know, we're looking forward to me adding that to my my, uh, Etsy store, which is going to happen because that's actually the next thing I'm going to be looking at this coming week is ordering new components and more stuff and stickers and things to make the new ones. Another four classes of D&D. And so moving on from there. So now we've talked about pressure from the public. Pressure upon the public persona that you showcase pressure in your own work or these creative aspirations, the pressure from financial strain. Now let's talk about how pressure can become a bad addiction because some people, and I am just as guilty of this, right? Can only do things at the last minute. Oh, I, I live for that pressure. Or, I do my best work under pressure. I have high blood pressure. And there's a reason for that. For years, I wouldn't really pay attention to it. I've taken a hit health-wise. I've taken a hit anxiety-wise. And I'm not looking forward to the fact that I will probably have to be put on blood pressure medication just to get my crap in gear, man, just to be okay, just to make it. It's the silent killer. And on top of that, the mental anguish that I can usually end up putting myself through when I have to get something done is just not worth it. I know that I made a promise to a lot of people at NakaCon that I would have the first graphic novel, the first chapter of the world of Ardor completed. Now I have a goal that I have to get to. I believe the next NACA is supposed to be happening in May. So if I do the countdown right now, I'm already halfway through September and there's other work, other projects that have to be done before October 1st, right? So I have, let's just ignore the rest of September and go October, November, December. Then boom, we're in 2022, right? January, February, March, April, May. If it's early May, that means I've only got seven months to put together a book, write it, edit it, draw it assemble it, ship it or send it so that it can be printed and then shipped to me and then figure out what else I'm going to do with it. How does the presentation look? Checking it over all that other stuff, right? That's a pretty tall order, but it's something I need to do. Now I consider that sort of thing, a gentle pressure because I know that there's going to be an end game. I know that there'll be a release at the end of it that I'll be very happy with, but I also, that segues me into the next aspect of it because, um, And first, let me jump into some, well, okay, how can we, I'm going to circle back around to what we can do about that and what, how that can work out in a good way. Cause there's one more negative pressure that I want to touch base on. And this is a much more generalized one that I believe a lot of people go through. So pressure in our own reflection, imposter syndrome is something that a lot of people feel. I feel it all the time. Our ego can also be a fragile thing. It shows because we compare ourselves to others, how much we made, how much we didn't make. Oh God. Why are there more people at that person's table? Oh my gosh. She sold so many things. Oh my God. Look, he's signing stuff. Oh man. They really like her items. Oh God. Look at what they've got going on. And when that sort of thing starts to happen, it just creates a spiral. And even then I've seen circumstances where really unique and special moments can happen and this i'm no i'm no exception to this rule. where maybe a show didn't go as financially well or maybe there was just some things that messed up maybe you spilled some some soda on yourself and yeah you, you had a white shirt on and then you had to do a panel and you you look like a gunshot wound sitting up there or something this didn't happen to me i'm just using an extremely elaborate example and kind of a crappy metaphor. No, it's not even a metaphor. It's an example. And if that sort of thing happens, you know, you end up feeling bad about it, but then you tend to overlook the small things or the big things that were really good. Maybe you had a great conversation about a fandom you weren't familiar with. Maybe you found somebody that just knew certain things about a fandom that, or an interest or a hobby that you really adore. And you have a great moment together. Maybe somebody comes along and compliments your work and then comes back later in the show and buys a whole bunch of it. Right. But if you have those negative aspects in there and pressure builds upon them that you had to have a perfect show, that you had to have something work out, then pressure now transfers to the next endeavor, whether that's working on the project you're trying to do for future shows or the next show you're doing. It might even put pressure on you as a person just to be like, why is everyone else succeeding and I'm not? Well, I can promise you that's not how that goes. It just doesn't. Now. We've analyzed a good, what, seven, eight of these factors of pressure, and I promise you, I I haven't even began to touch on what a larger amount of them could be, but here's a few things that I've found that can help alleviate pressure, okay? And everybody has their own ways of dealing with it. I'm certain of it. If you talk to a therapist or you've got other avenues, great, fantastic. There are some ways also to cope with pressure that aren't fantastic, but I'm not going to delve into those. So these are the ones that I've found that have worked. Number one, and probably the most important and freaking overlooked one is remember to love what you do. Seriously. I, there've been times right now, like in the past year, because of COVID, because of the fact that I had been isolated from other artists and people and hearing feedback on my work, I was falling out of love with the idea of being an artist I didn't like my inking style. I'm struggling. I didn't want to pick up my pencils. I didn't draw physically as much as I would have liked. And I had little little bits of brilliance in there and some fun times. And then a lot of it was just terrible. My sketchbooks have been embarrassing, horrible lately, just bad. But I still love what I do. Even though there's plenty of times I try and convince myself that I don't. Um, Another thing is uh, if you get, you know, if you got into doing art and, th- and it was an effort to get rich for any kind of financial factor. I think for the vast majority of people, you're going to always feel less than accomplished. Being an artist means so many things to so many people, but at the heart of it, it means that you're doing something. You're creating something with your voice, your thought, your vision of it. And whether it's for sale or simply for display or simply, or maybe even just your own private enjoyment. It's still something that goes above and beyond the money factor. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of people out there that that's what it's for. And they are absolutely swinging for the lowest hanging fruit and they're making a living off of it. You know, I have my own personal thoughts on that. But the fact is, is that if they're happy doing it, you know, there's not much I'm going to say against that. At least not here. Um, another thing you can do to alleviate it is to plan ahead and face the difficult aspects of spacing out your time. I know that's, I, I I just cringed saying that out loud, right? Because I'm a terrible planner. I am a freaking terrible planner. I think about that all the time and how difficult it is for me to space out my time. I, and believe me, I use Google calendar I have, the only reason I'm even doing this, I'm recording this session right now is because I had the reminder, which thankfully, you know, and I had a subject matter. Actually, the original subject matter was going to be about something that I'm going to share at the end of this. If I remember, uh, it was something that I witnessed when I was in Westport and it was like, wow, it just, it's one more comment on the duality of of the world as it is. But uh, so the, and, and, uh, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I hate when I do that. But going back to the idea of spacing out your time and things, that that can be a really scary thing. I mean, there's all those memes too about like you know the Spider-Man meme um, with Mary Jane and and uh, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, and she's like, "Tell me the truth," and then he's like, "You're going to have to wash your clothing and fold it and put it away all at the same day," and her breaking down into tears. I get it. I mean, that's exactly what we end up going through. We end up putting, you know, so much of this pressure on ourselves and so much of these little infinite needling problems that it's it's really hard to, you know, understand how to balance time out. I made a comment the other day, actually, on social media where, you know, and more than a few people didn't agree with me on this, but I, I, I don't know that I really worded what I was saying the way I wanted to. And I was saying that um time is the one thing money can't buy. Now, the interesting part about that was that there were, and I posted it on Facebook, on Twitter, and uh, I know I posted it somewhere else. And so the point was, was I understand that like if, if somebody has more money, they have more, they have people that can do things for them. Right. So if you're, if you're Chris Hemsworth, no doubt you've got an entourage, you've got an assistant. If you're Jeff Bezos, you have people basically licking your toes clean, like the money can do amazing things. What it can't do is give you more time to enjoy life. Not really. Yes, I do believe in the factor that we all have the same amount of time to do things. And absolutely, there are people that have way more approach when it comes to being able to get more things done in 16 hours a day because they're wealthy or they have more means to be able to get things done. Yeah, totally. But there's been plenty of people who were extremely well off and died way earlier. The factor is we don't know. When we're going to leave this plane of existence, we don't know how long we really have. And it doesn't have to be death. It could be a horrible accident. It could be anything that changes the paradigm for how much quote unquote time you have. And plenty of people that had money couldn't change that no matter what. So in that zone, I try and think about how. Even though I'm tired or even though I may not want to do something, the reminders have helped me to at least address the circumstance and make a good judgment. Like, well, if I don't do it now, am I going to do it tomorrow? And then I'll shift the reminder. Or is it just time to take the week off and then come back at this and then deal with possible regret later? You know, that's, that's up to each and every person to figure that out. Um, some other things to do to alleviate. Um, do exactly that. Leave some time for personal experiences away from your creative career. And I'm going to go into that here a little bit more in depth. So let me get some through some of these other ones. If you're at a show or you're just at a museum or at an art gallery or whatever, or maybe you went out on first Fridays, right? Talk to other creators, share your personal experiences whenever you can. You know, if the conversation's right. You'd be surprised who else is also going through that. I found that out today talking to a fellow artist about social media. He very much was like, I don't have the time to deal with the algorithms. I'm not going to sit there and worry about trying to make the perfect thing that is going to build to a number that is supposedly going to help me get more stuff. He's like, I just don't have the time or the patience to care enough for it. I just make stupid videos and post them every once in a while to Instagram. And if somebody likes it, great. If they don't, they don't, but at least my presence is on there. And I love that. I thought that was really good. And I wondered kind of how, he knew a lot of this sort of stuff. And I thought, okay, well, this is probably just experience-based. Well, no, he actually works with social media. And he had an understanding of a lot of this. And had talked to people who worked in you know, SEO and a lot of the IT guys and web dudes that he worked with at his job as a designer. And he understood how it's almost futile to try and work against the flow of these companies that provide us with social media. Because the moment you start to get some um, granularity of, of traction... The Then they turn the whole paradigm. They switch the algorithm around. Man, that sounds like such a weird catchphrase, hipster thing to say anymore. But they switch that around and they're like, would you like to boost your post? No, I I would just like you to not fuck with my stuff and let people read my stuff. That's why I don't even update my Facebook page anymore. Occasionally I will, but it's like there's no return on it. Like none. All my traffic to Etsy is actually coming from two places, Twitter and TikTok. TikTok of all places that I didn't think was going to work out for me until it doesn't, I guess. Right. Um, and then something else, and this has worked out for me. And I know that people are probably like, Oh God, this, this again, journal, make videos, write, Create some private work that maybe, you know, that that will speak to the things that create pressure or that represent the pressure for you. That, That can be, that can be a big help. Trust me. Even if you're not a writer, even if you're not anyone that really thinks that's who you are, I didn't really journal for a long time. I used to have a live journal and a My Diary back in the day, and then I kind of left it behind. And then there was something just reassuring about having a journal that I'm now able to go back to and measure the paradigms to where I am. I'm like, well, I stagnated on this or man, I really did make some personal growth here. Wow. Here's some things I could still improve upon. Or was it that long ago that I had this thought and I still haven't done anything about it? And it does help. It's not easy, but it does help. And then, um, probably f- as a final note on this, as far as things that, you know that can provide any sort of you know a leading factor for this is, uh, and honestly, the easiest thing is do nothing. I mean, just nothing. Like separate yourself from everything. Like when you feel inundated, worn down, just do a couple of things. Like, and when I say nothing. It literally can be nothing. I I actually like to sit in rooms and with music, without music, and just stare. It's not hard to do in my studio. I have a lot of stuff I like to look at, but I've I've actually sat in rooms before that were very empty or just sat out in the woods or something and just thought or just tried to clear my mind. Sometimes it turns into a meditation factor. Um, You know, um, go for a hike. Maybe go to the zoo. Do a puzzle. You you write some bad poetry. You can go bowling. Anything that you can do that lets you get pressure off your plate. I have a boxing bag I haven't hit in a while, but for a while that was a huge pressure release for me. I also like to wander around stores and see what popular graphic design elements are happening in like food packaging and toy packaging and what clothing textiles are looking like because those are things that affect things that I work on and create. And I like to see where, you know, Bigger companies are going with it, so I can either go with the stream's flow or rise against the tide and do something completely different. The point is, we will have pressure at some point in our lives. It's just, it's inevitable. We're humans. We're flawed. We have our issues. And we have a lot of beautiful differences and wild conundrums that can create pressure for us. But the key is just to know that it's not a necessary evil, regardless of what corporations may tell you that we work at and that we don't necessarily have to live with it. It doesn't have to be that. You don't have to be that person that's like, Oh God, I'm so busy all the time. Stop. Stop. We're people. We think. We create. We manifest what we want. And Yes, there are plenty of things that can overtake us, plenty of things that can stop us from doing all the things we want to do in this world, whether that's lack of money, means, income, you know, in different formats, or maybe just other things that I haven't covered on here. But there are ways to get things accomplished, and there are ways to work toward it. And it's also not a bad thing to be able to ask for help if you can. I think especially after a year and a half for some people, Two years for the majority of, you know, not really interacting with people and seeing people mainly over, you know, video chat or maybe phone calls, stuff like that. It's not a bad time to try and get back out there and maybe do this in a more communal way and understand that other people have been under a lot of pressure as well and that we can find our way out of it. It's just going to take some time to release that pressure. Because the danger is, is that if you release the pressure too quickly, you can get hurt in that process too. So, thanks for listening guys. I am Mario the Artisan Rogue. And again, this is Radio 74. I will come back in about another week with another episode. I'm not sure what I'm going to cover, but uh, I've got an interesting list of some things that I'd really like to tackle. I hope you guys enjoyed this. If you have any questions or any comments on this, please feel free to leave them here on Podbean or wherever else I've posted this. Or you can just shoot me a message at mario at net. I want to leave off with this really quickly. NakaCon was a hell of a lot of fun. I love that show. If you've ever thought about going to an anime convention, go. Go this next year. In 2022, it should be coming back in May. I'm hoping everything works out fine. Nothing else crazy happens. And the show comes back in full force. I really would love to see that thing Completely in full bloom all over again it's a wonderful show and the thing that really got me speaking about pressure on one last point it's always been a show that I've seen people that maybe only knew each other from a distance from a screen from telephone calls finally meet up and see each other and in a much smaller theater of life I saw it happen again in little pockets of people that were so happy to see each other people that were glad COVID hadn't robbed them of each other's presence that for at least a little while things seemed kind of normal and that is a norm that I really kinda hope would someday exist as one without a lot of pressure.